Adventures in a Small World. conversation with Fancy Octopus. Fancy Octopus is a mathematics and computer science student who also hosts a podcast called Buried Gems. Buried Gems is a podcast where Fancy Octopus and his team search the internet for the best hidden great authors. We go into detail on why he started his podcast. We talk about learning in both music and computer science. We go into detail on D&D and Fancy Octopus even gives us some recommendations on what to watch. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Fancy Octopus. Alright, so today we got Fancy Octopus on, and um, I guess we'll start off with a little bit about who Fancy Octopus is. Okay. So, um, I'm currently a college student at a state university in the U.S., public, uh, about to graduate this semester for mathematics and uh, computer science, and after that, uh, I'm currently looking into, I have a job lined up, and I'm also looking for a master's degree in pure math, so I guess that's like the the general stuff. Uh, I guess I'm also a bit of a musician and a podcaster. The musician part's a little weak, though. I've been kind of lazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So did you go to school knowing you were going to go comp sci math? Um, I went comp sci first. Uh, I originally thought I was going to do both, but then I thought that was too much work. So I went comp sci first. And then, you know, through luck of the draw, I like went and talked to some people. And they're like, no, yeah, you can do both. And nice. uh, so, so I was able to just jump in and just do both. Yeah, that's nice because they kind of play on each other pretty well, right? Yeah, there's a lot of like a lot of theoretical computer science, which is what I found more interesting anyway. Was uh, is just pure math in in the yeah. first place. So there's not like you know, there's a lot of intersection, which makes it like you know, really nice. Yeah. How did you um, become? How did you decide to start in computer science? Um. Video games, which is the, but then it, it's kind of uh, ironic because, well, at first, yeah, I wanted to do video games. I was specifically trying to mod Half-Life 2 in middle mm-hmm. school, which was way too hard of a job for anyone in middle school to do, reasonably at least. And yeah. uh, I learned C++ to do that. Then I found out C++ was hard, but then I just kept messing around with it and kept doing it. And then, you know, after like three or four years, you just, and you're still doing it, you're kind of like, well... I pretty much pretty enjoy it a lot, so just gonna <laughs> keep going with it. <laughs> That's cool. So your passion for video games kind of drew you towards it, and then uh, grew well, from it's there. Kind of, yeah, and ironically, um, I do not want to make video games. <laughs> that would be my <laughs> one of my not list. I wouldn't hate it, but it's just it's way too much work. And then to get all the death threats <laughs> that video games oh, get, <laughs> I don't want to go near that. Do you still play video games? Yeah, yeah, I still do. Uh, nowhere near as much, but you know. Yeah. But yeah. So Half Life was kind of the game that drew you towards comp sci. Yeah, yeah, I really liked Half Life Two, and then like Episode One and Episode Two. 
And then the fact that you could mod it. And I think the big one that I realized it was cool was uh, Gary's mod because they had like all these crazy mods that people, you know, that some guy in his basement made. And, you know, it's some cool thing that anyone could do. And so I tried doing it and I found out not anyone can do it, right? Like, well, I mean, anyone could do it. But, you know, it's not like you could just snap your fingers and it, what you want is done. You have to know what you're doing in a way. And so that's what kind of like drove me into it. That's awesome. So you're a, junior, you're a senior now? Super senior. So Super senior. All right. I like that. Get that extra year of fun in. <laughs> <laughs> um, any favorite classes or things that you learned during your time um, there? I have like, I think, four classes that I think were probably my favorite. And that was like graphics, compilers, Analysis, real analysis and algebra. I feel like those were probably my four favorite um, classes. However, they could just be you know me just listing off my most recent classes <laughs> the last, <laughs> in the last two years. But I really like those classes. Same with like linear algebra. But I, don't know, I slowly started realizing how much I liked uh, abstract math compared to uh, the more practical stuff around the last few years. Hmm. It is interesting, too, because as, as you grow in school, right, you start to get to pick the classes rather than just those initial one-on-one yeah, classes or whatever. Yeah, you're not, you have a lot of freedom in what you're allowed to, what, what you want to look into, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I, get, I got to, like, you know, see which things are like. I learned that there are certain things that I, I definitely don't like, <laughs> like <laughs> geometry, but... That's funny. So <laughs> geometry is like you can kind of touch it and see it, right? So it's. I mean, that that is a way of thinking about geometry. From what from one of my experience with geometry, it's you have to prove a bunch of you have to start out showing a bunch of things that are obvious, but well, they're obvious to us, but they're not obvious. Like you know, how do you know that there's like if you have a line, how do you know that? that there's if i choose two points on the line that there will always be a point in between those two points um we actually have to take that as, as just truth right we have to just assume that's possible and so geometry from what i've have experience with it is a lot about like really rigorous axiomatic proofs of like it's very interesting there's nothing against geometry it's just it's just not my yeah. i don't know i'm not i wasn't a fan <laughs> of of do the style of proof and all that it's interesting to hear that. Um, did you have to take a class differential equations? Yeah, I had to take the engineering differential equations. I didn't take the pure math one. Uh, yeah, so I, I took the engineering one, which is much simpler. It's just, you know, um, just like plug and chug for the most part. <laughs> I had I had such trouble with that class when I was in school, man. I don't know. Just couldn't get it's, it. It's a lot of work. Like it's a it's a thing. You have to like it's a lot of memorization when you don't prove it, right? So like if you're just like if you're just given like this is what a PDE looks like and this is how you solve it, then well, you know, you can, you, you kind of have to just memorize it, right? And that's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, I I struggled there. I was like the engineering stuff a lot more, but what made you like the math? What was it about the math that kind of drew you in? Well, I found out that pure math is like, um, even applied math, there's a lot of proving, right? So like you would, like, you know, in a, a higher level math, uh, mathematics, you don't, you know, you could solve problems, of course, 
that's that's uh, the crux of it in a way. But it's also about like exploring and, and finding new thoughts and proofs of of what happens around it, right? So like, you know, when, once I found out that proving was such a big deal of it, it kind of becomes like a puzzle, right? Like you're given a statement, like you're given a statement and you have to show that it's true, which I always found was very interesting, very free form way of thinking. So it's almost like, a, it's like almost like puzzles, right? But like you have a lot of freedom in how you solve these puzzles hmm. or you don't. I mean, maybe there's only one way to do it, but you have to find it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So you, you look at it not as like, oh, here's some numbers, but it's actually a puzzle that you got to solve. Well, yeah, because you can even get to the level of like, you know, where it's just you're just given a statement and you have to show that that it's true or maybe it's false, but you have to show that and you have to make a pretty convincing argument that it is true or false. Um, yeah. And that's like the whole basis of proof, right? Is that yeah. it's a deductive. It's 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 actually like the polar opposite of something like science, right? Where you like you take measurements and you see and you form based off of intuition. And uh, I always found like doing the experiments in science really boring. <laughs> I thought science was cool, but like the actual experiment was like really boring. <laughs> I didn't yeah, realize. yeah. <laughs> um, so you're you got a job after school? Is that more comp sci or is that more math heavy? Oh, definitely comp sci heavy. It's a software engineering job. Oh, nice. Do you know what you're going to be doing? Uh, yeah, I'll be uh, working at like a big corporation, uh, <laughs> and I'll be making a. I guess it's security software is kind of what it is, but it's not. It's mobile device management, right? So it's like if you have a bunch of, and then I'll be working on the UI side of it. It's like you might. It's like essentially like you know how compute uh, schools will have like hundreds of computers, and you have to like log in using your school account. Yep. And all that stuff. Sure. Well, with that, you know, that's like we essentially it's the analog of that but for like your phones. Where like if you have a company phone or you want to access company data on your phone, you'd use uh this system. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I see those a lot now. I work in the uh defense industry, so all our phones and computers are all, you know, two factor and locked up, yeah. So that's cool. I do you like working on the more of the UI side or more deeper down in the code. Honestly, I don't know because yeah, they both have like the UI. You can get to see like direct progress really easily, and it's really easy to like see that progress, right? Like when you make it a thing, you get to see that thing directly. While like on the more back end, you have to kind of go with like. For me, it's harder to visualize what's happening, like you know, and it's not, I guess, as directly satisfying but i gotta say working on the back end definitely is a lot faster it feels like to me like i could definitely feel like you know i'm moving faster and that i can accomplish more in the same amount of time but you know at the end i haven't really had enough experience to really make a full judgment call though sure yeah it's 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 weird right when you build something and you can see it and you know show people yeah. hey i made this that's kind of cool but there's a lot underneath that's you know, you need to to get to that point, and that stuff's really important. Yeah, it's but. it's massively important, and so that's why it's kind of weird because, like, you know, if like you made the engine for a car, uh, you'd you'd have a right to feel very impressed with yourself, right? You made an engine, but right. if someone takes that engine and makes the car, or like, you know, 
I guess, takes the assemblies that make the car and then puts them together in a nice format so that someone can use it. They should also feel impressed because they, you know, finalized it and they made sure it's usable. But, you know, do they feel... I, I don't know. It's just a weird thing where it's like they could they, they they look at their finished product and it's like a full car that they assemble together compared to like, you know, the person who made the engine. I don't know. It's just one of those. I guess it's just like a personal opinion thing. Maybe in to- my totally. opinion will change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's every piece of the puzzle matters, right? If you have one weak spot in that code, whatever, someone can attack it and everything goes down. So that's yeah. that's interesting. That sounds like a cool job. Um, you mentioned graphics. I was just interested on what that was about. Graphics class, like literally, um, how computers display stuff, right? Like, um, like how do we represent things in three dimensional space? How do we look at them? Like, how do we take like an imaginary world in three D, and then project it onto a computer screen so that we can look at it, right? Like that kind of stuff. Mm. So like. Um, how do like how do video games, for example, rasterize uh, polygons in real time, or how do movies uh, use use ray casting to to do reflections and uh, and uh, and mirrors and stuff and, and shadows, and then how does people how do companies like Pixar specifically? Uh, I think the guy who created subdivision services is what they're called, which is essentially a way to make very smooth objects in three D. How do you, you know, how does Pixar use those to, like, you know, animate Toy Story or whatever? Which is why, like, I think Pixar was one of the first companies to really have that super smooth yeah, uh, graphic animation, you know, where it's, like, almost like looking at an actual ball instead of, like, a bunch of triangles. Yeah, right. Was that more theoretical or did they, like, did you actually write anything? Do- we had to we had to write some stuff. We had to make a raycaster. We had to make a rasterizer. We had to make a, a fractal generator. But um, uh, the there was also a lot of theory behind it. It wasn't like you know cutting edge technology, and that one that made sense. You know, if you can only have to learn like a lot of the theory behind the stuff, is a lot more invariant than say the actual like programming interfaces, because those change super fast. And so it's much better to typically, at least in my experience to learn like the theory of like why does this work for for everything instead of like you know oh um what's the specific implementation like how does it work for this thing instead of like you know the the broader scope i guess is the way of looking at it right that sounds like a really cool class interesting stuff do you find um you mentioned c plus plus do you find going from language to language coding language um easy hard um i used to think it was very uh hard so when i first started it was hard because you have to learn all the concepts and you think that those concepts are tied to the language you're learning because that's just how you have to do it first you have to speak in a way you have to find a way to say things in a different way and so in your first language for coding language, I mean, there's maybe some analog to, like, human languages, but human languages are much harder, <laughs> so I would yeah. don't want to draw that analog. Um, sound a little bit pretentious, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the first the first few languages, yeah, it was hard because I kept, kept having to remember, but then, you know, after plenty of experience and time 
of like constantly changing languages or saying things in different languages, you start to understand. And when you learn like the theoretical concepts, like the base concepts that of what we're trying to say in general. So like when I say something in C++, how I, and I say, oh, how do I say that in Python? Uh, the, the new perspective that you gain through experience, or at least I had, was like instead of saying like, oh, how do I say how do I say this in this language and now I have to transfer it to this? It's like, well, what do I want to say? And then how do I say it in general? And then each language has different constructs to help you say those things. Because at the end of the day, a lot of these computer operations that you're trying to say are just com compositions of other operations. So you just have to try and say, what is what am I trying to say for real? Like outside of any language, what am I trying to say? And then how does that language let me say that? Which is a lot easier to do for computer languages than like, you know, because you could maybe argue that's the same thing for human languages. I don't think it is. Uh, I am not good at <laughs> learning human languages. I've been like yeah. on and off learning Spanish for like eight years. So, <laughs> Were you, Are you serious about learning Spanish or it's just kind of like there? It started out not serious because it was like required by the, the high school. and the Yeah, school. yeah. But then uh, for a little bit I was. And I got, I, I got far with some self-help tools, but I mean... It's just one of those things where as soon as I stop attempting, I forget all of it. And then as soon as I start again, I remember it again. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, I, I stopped for like a year and then I went to a restaurant and I couldn't speak Spanish at all when the waitress couldn't speak English. And then like <laughs> a few weeks later, I started, you know, doing Duolingo again. And suddenly I remember every goddamn word in Spanish <laughs> that I'd learned in the last 80 years. I was like, this is... <laughs> a lot of stuff saved up in that memory bank. Yeah. Just got to wipe the cobwebs off a little bit. <laughs> so why Fancy Octopus? Um, well, it originated because I had one moniker for a really long time. But I I had, uh, I played D&D &D with some of my friends. Uh, one of my friends spent like the last like seven years or something creating uh, his own custom version of D&D &D that we all play. Oh, wow. And... In it, I play an octopus. Uh, in one of the campaigns, I played an octopus, uh, like a kind of like a Lovecraftian-style villain. And uh, from there, and then there was just one community I joined on the internet where I was like joining a Discord server, and I needed to think of a, a good moniker to go by. And I thought Fancy Octopus worked well because you know I was doing a bunch of octopus <laughs> stuff at the time. And <laughs> <laughs> Nice, I like it. It's a it's a catchy name. <laughs> yeah, I, I can dig it. You know, I've yeah. been sticking with it so far. Have you been doing D and D for a long time? Yeah, yeah, for a few years now. Not not like, not like uh, ooh, anyone who does D and D out of the box is gonna get mad at me. But I don't do the um <laughs> the actual out of the box variation. I'm not a huge fan of four E and five E. I haven't played it too much, but. What I have played, it's a really hardcore to set up your character, and you can only do, like, a limited number of spells per game, and I just feel like it's too restrictive, which is why we have our friend. He's, like, really into this stuff. He's created his own, where a lot of the problems we have with D&D, &D, like 5e or 4e, we, you know, just, we, we don't even bother with them. We have our own style of everything that, like, that for us, at least, focuses more on uh, role-playing, on you know flexible flexibility in your strategy the ability uh, creativity in your strategy and those and those things other than like strict rules that you must uh, adhere to it's a lot more like run and gun i guess 
Okay. So I'm kind of a D&D noob. I hear people talk about it and, you know, I see it everywhere on the internet and stuff, but can you give like a quick explanation on what this is? Yeah, so for what we do, and it's pretty similar in, in structure to an actual D&D meeting, so, but essentially what you do is you create a character um, or you're given a character or whatever, and we focus very heavily on the art role-playing side, but essentially you're in a world and you get together on a table or we do it over the internet, and you know you just kind of in a way pretend to be that character and you have you would imagine what they want to do uh what what they are doing for that day and then you know there's obviously it's set in like you know more fantastical realm whether it be like futuristic sci-fi or or actual fantasy uh like medieval fantasy and you just kind of go with the flow on it and so like especially for our campaigns we have a lot of role-playing and a lot of things like political theater and stuff like that so we have people playing as as legitimate like political leaders and we're trying you know to run our nations or groups of people or whatever and you know we're role-playing as them and then you know we just interact with the other players or with the non-player characters to try and like you know do whatever and the, the more traditional one is that you have a party of like three to four maybe five people who work together as a party to complete like specific quests given to them or whatever but we've kind of moved past that just because we had so many people we had like eight people playing at once and we would also you know just had so much rp and lore built up around our characters because we were playing for so long that we could start you know doing much more intricate complicated storylines and all in all and so yeah that's that's basically the gist so you just like kind of being someone else you're kind of it's kind of like improv in a way like imp, yeah like dra dramatic improv or comedic improv it's just Im Im improvisation right that sounds really interesting <laughs> sounds fun yeah um, i totally recommend it <laughs> do you feel like your your octopus character is you or do you kind of make up this whole new persona and go with um, that i'm not the best actor but I do not want to say that my character is me, if that makes sense. So, like, while I would not personally agree, especially since he's, like, more of an evil character. I, I've made a few villains. I would not personally agree with a lot of my, my, my uh, character's actions or ethics or whatever. But, you know, I'm not them. I think that's the answer. It's like, I'm not him. What would he do? And uh, if the thing he would do is something I wouldn't do in real life, well... Well, what I would do in real life kind of doesn't matter in that in that sense, right? Because I'm not yeah. being me; I'm being him. If that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Interesting. All right, that's how we got to Fancy Octopus. Yep. Makes sense. You mentioned you had a podcast. What is it? Oh yeah, so um, that's Buried Gems. It's a uh, it's a fun little uh, it's a comedy podcast. But what we do is, uh, well, we actually we started the podcast because we knew. One of my one of the people I know, one of my friends, Hyena, is what he goes by on the podcast. He f had this coworker who wrote like a one thousand page word document about um about it was just so weird. It was like this one thousand page novel, and it was just kind of bizarre. I guess I don't know. It was weird to read, and we were having a hoot, you know, reading it, being like, "This is this is kind of funny." And then we were reminded, like, "Oh yeah." 
people publish this stuff all the time. Like if you go onto fanfiction.net or fiction press or fiquad or anywhere on the internet, there's so much people writing stuff and posting it. And what's really weird is that it's very it's kind of there's a lot of bad stuff, right? Like there's a lot of people who like wrote something down and it needed it needed a, 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 a proofread, it needed a spell check, it needed a whatever, and they just said, screw it, it's going up. And so we came up with the idea of, like, why don't we, like, actually try and look for, like, this fan fiction? Let's dive into it. And we didn't want it to be, you know, just we're going to read some bad fan fiction. So we came up with the idea that we're going to try and find the next Harry Potter. And, you know, we use a good... Uh. Yeah, so we're trying to find the next big hit uh, novel series by going through fan fiction authors and by going through original. F- it's not all fan fiction. We actually try to avoid the fan fan fiction. Uh, it's usually what I try and find is marked original fiction. But you know, with that, we try and like you know find um, what could be the next big o- uh, uh, novel. And I like look through all of these these uh, stories to try and you know, and we do a, a quick comedic dive. We have like two guests come on. And I like narrate uh, as Fancy Octopus, and then my co-host uh, Proper Gent would do the voice acting. And then we have two guests come on, and they just give kind of hot takes and reviews, and we rate them at the end. And we, I don't know; it's been a lot of fun to make, and it's a—it seems like it's a pretty funny show. But it's just kind of interesting too, because like it's not a complete joke. Because if if you remember correctly, um, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey started out as a fan fiction. <laughs> oh really? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, it was first written as a like smutty Twilight fan fiction on this woman's uh, PDA, and then she ended up you know I guess submitting it to some publisher, and they said well you can't make it about Twilight directly, so she turned it into Fifty Shades of Grey. And then she turned it into a big pile of money. A big pile of money into three movies in the movie theater that somehow didn't have porn in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. How long have you been doing that? Um, we've been recording and doing it for like I think a month and a half to two months now. Sometime in January, I think, is when we started. And we still have we have like you know some episodes up on Spotify and iTunes and all that, and we're still Mm -hmm. you know coming out with them. We're we're not stopping anytime soon. So awesome! I gotta check it out. Sounds pretty funny. Sounds solid. Have you found anything that you think could be the next big thing yet, or are you still searching? We're still looking, but we do have some interesting um, interesting authors. So we have one that we really like, and he's called Gay Tales. And we're pretty sure Gay Tales is ESL. That's not an insult to him, of course. Being ESL is just, that's just, you know, you just ESL, just how it works. And we, on, um, and so and we, we noticed that probably because his grammar isn't so great and he misses a lot of words. Like he doesn't use the a lot, which can get very confusing. But, you know, it is it is interesting and we really like him whether or not. And it's a he makes like this, like essentially like kind of like a romance between a dwarf and a human and like a war, you know, Warhammer at all. It sounds familiar, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure what it is either, but it's some. I'm assuming it's some tabletop RPG type thing. But yeah, and we we really love it, and we, we we're reading all of it. But whether we found one that's like Harry Potter quality, I mean, I don't know. I'm actually, it's so weird to say because okay, 
this is going to sound off topic, but so we're thinking about doing a mystery a book on uh, on so where essentially I would have a book that I got from an actual published author and then I would read it to everyone else and it would be a mystery. So they would rate it without knowing who the author is and then we would, you know, release the author at the end. It was an idea we have for a series. So I found a book that I felt would be a good fit and I'm reading it and it amazes me how close to some of the fan fiction it sounds. Like how not it's only like at like the grammar and english sen- the sentence structure like for like the average fan fiction i'd say it's only like uh, like a notch above when it comes to that and when it comes to a good fan fiction or like a good original fiction it's like it's like not even close half the time <laughs> like some of those good <laughs> fictions are like pretty good and then to see this guy got his stuff published because I don't know. I guess he was famous. Uh, it's just kind of disheartening a little bit because you're like the, these. There are other authors who actually could probably write a better book than this. Yeah, yeah. How long are the books or stories that you usually talk about? So what we usually do is we usually do two stories an episode, roughly, and they're both and they're usually short stories. They're about thirty five hundred to five thousand words or so. Um, we have been expanding more into. Um, longer series to where we'd have you know more episodes that are just like you know we go through a much longer work one that's closer to like twenty two thousand words or whatever and we've been liking that as well so but typically i'd say they're about five to seven thousand words nice have you ever had one of the authors of the of the stories you read on there no but we are actively trying to get one of them on (laughs) so we are hoping to try and Ho- like we were really hoping for gay tales to come on because i need to hear from him <laughs> you got me excited now and so I-, I would love to have him on and i would love to have any of the authors that we like there's another author that we really like called wasp sting i honestly think wasp sting could become a legit author i don't know if they are already but like you know they got good writing style they some of their ideas are a little corny and all that but that's fine you know you always got to start somewhere right and i'd love to have them on too <laughs> That's awesome. So if I go listen, I should go look for an episode about gay tales and wasp sting. Those are the two best to go check out. Yeah, totally. I would, okay. I'd, yeah, I'd say those. All right, cool. All right, definitely gonna check. Got to check out gay tales. We got to get them on there. Yeah, I, I gotta find him. I don't know how to reach him. I'm I'm trying to find a way to reach him or her. Their tumblers down, so I don't. <laughs> That's a cool idea. So you've been doing that for like a month, and you're still liking it. Yeah, totally. Are, are you doing all the work, or is, you said you had a co-host? I think, right? Oh yeah, yeah. A uh, proper gent is how what he goes by on the on the cast. Proper gent and fancy octopus team up to read fan fiction. <laughs> berries to find buried gems. It's perfect. Exactly. All right, buried gems. That's really cool. I'm I'm looking forward to listening to that. It sounds like a riot. Um, so you're in college, podcast. Oh, music you mentioned. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So, um, I gotta say I've been pretty lazy on music production or screwing around for the last while or so. I, I mean, I've been I'm a drummer, and so I was you know I draw I started drumming in like elementary middle school, and then I ended up joining like the bands. I ended up quitting them because there's way too much time commitment. But you know, I was for a while, for a long while, I was getting, I was mainly an improv drummer for like blues and stuff. 
but then you know at some point you know you just things fall in and out and so i've been kind of switching between the two i do have uh, i know a lot of people around me who are actual music producers or like more or, or more focused on it i guess is the way to put it to where like you know so i'm, I'm pretty familiar with the music production scene or not scene but community i guess and it's 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 just, it's just an interesting um art form i i feel like it's just i don't know yeah i mean i've talked to a, a couple people now and everyone mentions music and they started young and i don't play any instruments but i'm i'm kind of upset that i don't and i think i need a I need to pick something up because it just seems like there's so much value just from going through the process of learning how to play and playing. I, I don't know. I totally agree. I think that there is definitely like a good experience when it comes to like, you know, knowing. And plus, you know, it's a way to like, you know, be creative every once in a while. Right. Like, you know, you, it's a good way to like just try and like experience new things or learn more about um the the things you listen to all the time and so i de i definitely recommend it um maybe not drums if you're living in an apartment because <laughs> really loud <laughs> did you originally start with drums oh uh, yes well actually no i started with guitar at a really young age but um i wasn't too good at guitar uh i even had lessons and all and i just wasn't you know getting better or anything i don't know if i wasn't practicing enough or what if I was just lazy, very possible. But uh, drums for some reason stuck really well, and so I just, I just, you know, still. And it, at some point, it's kind of like riding a bike. I never got that way yeah. with guitar, but with drums, it definitely did. Did you end up taking lessons, or did you have classes in school for drums, or did you just kind of pick it up on the side and you loved it, so you played? At first, I picked it up on the side, but then as soon as they had classes for drums available, I was taking them. Right, so I was mm. in the middle school band which is a little different than, like, drum set. It's, like, percussion, which is uh, a little more formal, I guess, where you have sure. – um, you learn, like, how to play the snare by itself or, like, do the, co the the concert-style percussion sets. And then I was in marching band as a timpani player, which that was no fun. Well, I mean, it was, it was a ton of fun, but, my God, they're just, you know, they just put four 50- to 100-pound drums <laughs> on a platform and then tell me to drag it across the field. <laughs> So what's timpani? So you know, like it's a it's an orchestral uh, drum. It's uh, they're also called kettle drums. They're big, big like metal drums, and then they have like a white top on them, and they have little pedals on them. And what you can do is you you use the pedal, and it changes how tight the drum head is, and so you can make like um you can change the the tone of the drum as you're playing it, and so. It's like if you've ever heard like an orchestra song, you've probably heard a timpani. They're very, very common in orchestra and um, uh, like you know, concert style music like that. With uh, yeah. I don't know, I can't really mimic the noise, but it's it's once you hear it, you'll recognize it. You'll be like, oh, okay, that's that's that noise, you know. Gotcha. It's one of those things. So did you just have like a big hammer to hit this thing? Um, well, actually, use little you use really soft mallets because like a really delicate. A drum head so you like have mm. like you like so you set your your pedals to what you want the tones to be and then you like you know hit it around right around the uh, edge not in the center the center sounds sounds awful but you hit it like closer to the edge and you just kind of like do it like a delicate but forceful like tap or like smack on it and it will like you know reverberate 
through the air and it'll make like a nice clean like tone interesting did you do uh marching band in college or was that high school no this is high school i yeah. the amount of time required for marching band was too much for high school me <laughs> i ended up uh <laughs> after the first year i ended up dropping out uh, it was so much though it was it was un it was unreasonable it was unreasonable to have a social life outside of marching band and have marching band it to my mm. from what i could tell um, and that's probably why if any high school you've been to, you probably noticed the band people are kind of secluded into themselves. It's not right. just by choice. It's also because, you know, during marching season, man, I would have to get up at like five in the morning to get to school by like six, seven thirty. Usually like, I think like six thirty is when I had to get there. But then we'd spend like, you know, an hour or two before school practicing. And then we'd spend the first hour or two of school also practicing. Um, then, you know. We'd go through school. Uh, some days we'd have practice after school, uh, but wow. usually not. But then we also football games. We'd have to get you know get on the bus, uh, go to all the football games, um, and then also once we get back from the football game, we have to do like a little thing, uh, you know, a little thing. So we wouldn't get so we wouldn't get home from a football game until like two or three in the morning sometimes, um, and then that doesn't even include band camp, which is like two or three weeks before the school year you have to spend every day eight hours a day playing practicing and learning yeah so if you're in marching band you gotta really want it you gotta, you gotta like want it. to be there yeah which, which i enjoyed it definitely but it's 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 a lot of work and it's, it's a, a commitment and i don't know if it was enough uh enjoyment for the amount of work it was for me at least right. for me there are there are people who really love it and I mean, yeah, and, and it is fun. I'm not, not, no knocking it. Yeah, yeah. So you left marching band, but you stayed with the drums? Yes. Well, I mean, I stayed with the drum set specifically. Um, I did pick up some things because I wasn't on the drum line. I was on the pit, which is like the group of orchestral instruments. Or not orchestral, but they're more like uh, the, the more traditional percussion instruments you think of, like triangle, cymbals. Uh, okay. Xylophone, marimba, all that stuff. Sure. And so you know, I learned a little bit of music theory, not too much. Uh, I learned a little bit of you know how to play piano. Uh, not really piano, but like more like mallet instruments, which they they map onto the piano quite nicely. And uh, yeah, so I, but I stuck with the drum set for a while. Kept jamming. I had a I had a lot of friends who were into like bass and guitar and stuff. So we would just blues jam. Like a lot, like you can pretty consistently at least once a week for a long time, and for like hours at a time too, like easily for like four to five hours. Did you ever think of pursuing a career in music? For a little bit, um, I actually had a family member who was really into uh about going into music. He actually wanted to go to Berkeley and in, in Boston, and he mm -hmm. also wanted to go to UNT, and um. If you, that, that's your choice, I'd, I'd say if you want to become like a classically trained musician, like a studio musician and all that, then that is a way to go. And it's a very good way to go. In fact, it might be the only way to go, to my knowledge, is to get into one of those symposiums. But right. when it comes to like if you wanted to start a band and get have some fun with it or like try and get big off of that, or if you want to write music just to distribute all of those routes – while you, well, not to say that they're they're pointless, they're not necessary in a way. You know what I mean, right? Sure. And sure. so I never thought about going to college for music. 
is the, I guess what I'm saying. I always thought about, you know, just doing it on the side. And if it gets big, then I'll drop my old career <laughs> and become a <laughs> star. There you go. Did, did you play in bands or were you always kind of a solo? I know you mentioned you jammed with your friends and stuff, but did you ever actually uh, record well, anything with the I band? Have, I have performed a few times, but it wasn't like, you know, consistent or anything like that. Um, they, uh, I mean, performing outside of like high school marching band and all that. Um, but the few times I did, uh, perform and jam outside, they, they went pretty well. And other than, and I was thinking, I was like, I preferred jamming to, um, just playing by myself. Uh, mainly because like, you know, drums, while they have a really good feel and rhythm to them, um, they're not, I'd say as they can't create a cohesive song as easily as other instruments. So like if you have a drums only song, it's uh, you got to get a little experimental with it. But, and, but I think just adding a guitar or a bass uh, alone already makes like, and it's also, to me, it feels like a collective effort. And that's why I never really bothered to learn the exact drum beats of a lot of songs. So like I never did a lot of like, you know, listen to a song then I learned how to play the drums for that particular song. I was much more all in a way like, free flow i guess you know kind of more improv based um but mm. and that has its drawbacks mainly that if you aren't very creative for a, a period of time which is bound to happen to everybody uh your beats start sounding the exact same and you sound boring um but when you are in the in the groove which usually means you just have to be keep doing it all the time you know just have to be experiencing new experiences and jamming uh then it's it sounds great and it, it i think it adds a lot of authenticity and uniqueness to the sound because it's it is coming off the top of your head and and when that sound when something comes off the top of your head and it sounds good that's pretty cool in my opinion that's why like yeah. jazz is so cool did you when you were in that free-flowing state did you notice things outside of drums that were causing that or was it just because you were playing all the time um so i think that in, in creativity in general from what i've noticed is that if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you end up becoming kind of anti-creative. And so I think there's a good quote from or story. I think it's on Made Man, and it was it's been an interview between Paul F. Tompkins and Ben Schwartz, where Ben Schwartz tells the story about how he he used to go to an improv school. I think it was at UCB, and he you know uh, was just terrible for a few weeks, and his teacher just told him to go to the zoo. And so when he comes back from the zoo, he's suddenly a lot better. He's a lot funnier. And I think the context to that is that, you know, if you're in like this super creative state, if you want to be, you know, making new things, if you want to stay fresh and you want to be creative, you have to do different things and you have to do them constantly. Like you can't fall into a rut. When you fall into that rut of what you're doing, you're not being creative anymore. You're being mechanical, I guess. And so I think in, the, in a lot of those times when I was jamming consistently, um, not only was I jamming consistently, which helped a lot with my technique, right, and, like, how my, like, skills when it comes to interacting with people, but I think it also helps a lot that at that time period I was, you know, doing a lot of different things. I had a, I had plenty of friends to go hang out with. I could go do a lot of different experiences. A lot, I was very adventurous at the time, and so I was ex – constantly experiencing new things or at least to some degree constantly experiencing them and i had a very varied lifestyle 
And I think that helped a lot too. Um, and so, I mean, that's just some advice I found around, you know, to staying creative is don't let, don't just, you know, don't fall into a, a structure or into a rut because then you kind of lose it. Yeah. And that can be hard. I mean, I know you're not in the working world yet, but you know, kind of the monotony of the, Hey, get up, go oh, work, yeah. I, come home. It's, it can I be totally a struggle. Agree. I've actually had a few jobs like professionalist jobs. And it's, it's, and that's the thing. It's hard to not be kind of fatalistic about it. Like it's hard, you know, when you, you go to work, you go to eight hours, you come back, you're pretty tired, right? You're not like, you know, even if you didn't do physical work for eight hours, you're still tired. And it's hard to kind of get out of that fatalistic attitude of, well, uh, or not necessarily fatalistic, but like, you know, just like lethargic attitude of, should I go out and do something? Cause typically I'd say the answer should be yes. If, if, if you're asking yourself the question, should I go out and do something? If you can think of something that you would want to do, I'd say you should probably go do it just because, you know, otherwise you're not doing anything. But, that, of course, that is, you know, has exceptions and all that. Right, right. It's it's complicated, right? I, you work all day, work late, but you got to make time for those things that you make you happy. To. Or else, you know, or I else... think that's... And it is complicated because, you know, you're not guaranteed uh, just because you work doesn't mean you're guaranteed to have the money to go do these things or do any of all any any to go explore or whatever or to go just do something different. And it can be hard to kind of find other things to do, even in big cities. It can be hard if you're not, you know, you have to work for it. And that's the sad thing, right, is like, you know, you feel like it should be easy to go out and meet people and do things, but it's sadly not. <laughs> you have to, like, actively go and do it. Right. So, with that in mind, if you had all the money, you know, you didn't have to go to your job tomorrow, didn't have to go to school, whatever, what would you think you would be doing with your time tomorrow? I don't know. Because... I can't think of anything that I would want to do that, like, you know, maybe I could say, oh, I'd want to go get a graduate degree in something. But, mm. I mean, I don't know if I'd rate that as higher than what I'm currently lining up for myself. So, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't really thought about that. Um, I And I don't have any, like, you know – I guess grand ambitions um that yeah I don't know that's a I don't that's an interesting <laughs> question yeah you you're still um in the mode of excited to go to work and learn yeah exactly so that's that's good you may you are where you would be if you didn't have to go you know if you won the lottery you'd be doing what you're doing right now that's amazing yeah I can't think of anything um I'll let you know if I do <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Off of that question, we'll go to, was there ever a moment in your life that you felt just like totally changed where you were headed? That's another hard question. Definitely. There's gotta be a, a moment. I, so there was, um, so when I got my, um, acceptance offer or when I got my, uh, when I first started my internship at uh, the company I'm currently working for, 
that definitely changed a lot because I legitimately had, I mean, it was so early too. I was just a sophomore. Uh, they, I had no idea what was going to, what was I going to do? I, I didn't, I, I essentially the, the, the time after college was essentially a, an abyss, right? It's just like, Oh yeah. At, you go past this four years and then something happens and you go do whatever. And so I kind of left it up to just whatever. And so when I got that, that accepting offer or that, that, that return, that internship offer, which then resulted in return offer and return offer, um, that really defined, you know, like what I was expecting to do. And it like, you know, kind of, I guess, locked it down, which I don't know if that's like a change in like what I was deciding to do, but more it like provided a constraint to me that like, oh, well, this is what I'm doing now because uh, <laughs> this is where I am, right? Kind yeah. of like a, a convenient way to lock it down. Right, a direction for your ship. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. That's cool. So you co-op there or interned um, sophomore year. You went back junior and senior, and now you're going back to the – are you going to the same team, same people? Not the – I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to the same big team, but I don't know if I'm going to the same small team. Uh, they just said they were going to put me on a team with a lot of work, so <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> well, that's good. Work is good. Yeah. Okay. Well, we went over podcast, computer science, math. Anything else you want to hit or let people know about? Hmm. I don't know. Uh. I used. To, I'm pretty pretty big into movies as well. Okay. Here we go. Give me a top list. Okay. <laughs> top movie list. Yeah. Let me take a look. I have a list of movies I watched recently. <laughs> Um, nice. Uh, near in the top ten, there's definitely gonna be No Country for Old Men. That movie is top notch. Uh, this the a I really like the way that they use silence in that movie, and that you know they didn't um they didn't have to have a, a song or a, a a sound effect constantly throughout the entirety of the movie, and the way they use silence is really makes it feel real and i really like the the audio like the ideological points of the movie and just how well executed it is and how just amazing it is like i would say definitely no country for old men up top um akira uh the it's a 1990 1998 anime it's a super it's a sci-fi and that movie is also just it's it's pretty it's a bit cryptic but I'd definitely day say it's a masterpiece of anime. It's a very interesting kind of uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like this guy gets I don't know. It, but I definitely say Akira is in there. Um, what else do I have on here? Um, I also was a big fan of what was it? Oh, um, being John Malkovich. I thought that was a hilarious comedy. I really liked. Being John Malkovich, that was a really good movie. Um, and then you know, of course, all the you know normal classics: Taxi Driver, uh, Godfather, oh, yeah. you know, The Biz. Still yep. haven't watched this. Gotta have meaning to though. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that either. But uh, yeah, everyone always mentions that in the top list. I also have a list here of I've watched a lot of horror movies on 
on, on Netflix. So if you want, I could give a list of horror movies to watch and horror movies not to watch that are on Netflix. I'm always looking for what to watch next on Netflix. What do we got? Okay, so these are horrors that I would recommend to watch on Netflix. Creeping okay. Creep 2. Those are phenomenal, probably the best found fiction, found footage horror movies you're going to find. It's got Mark Duplass, uh, directs, writes, and act as the main character in both of them. They're very small-budget films. They only have like two characters per movie. And I'd honestly recommend watching them back-to-back. And it's just an amazing take on found footage uh, horror. And it's probably like the, the best ones I can think of. Um, the okay. Babysitter. Are those Netflix oh, Are those Netflix originals or are those just movies that are on Netflix? I'm not. They're definitely on Netflix, but I think okay. Creep 2 is a Netflix original. Okay. I don't think Creep, Creep and Creep 2. Then there's also um, Babysitter and Little Evil. I think they're still on there, but those are more like comedic horrors. So Babysitter is like a coming of age story, but it's like, you know, the boy is like, you know, has a crush on his babysitter. Turns out she's like, you know, a Satanist or something. So that's the fun <laughs> story. Uh, okay. Little Evil is another great. Uh, uh, so if you notice, um, Adam, uh, what's his name? Adam Scott has been doing a lot of comedy horrors recently where he just, he kind of like, he's like the hero in a comedy horror. He's been doing, he's done like five of them so far. He's done, they're all amazing. You got Krampus, you got uh, Piranhas, which is on Netflix, also great. You got, um, and Little Evil. And Little Evil is he just marries this woman without meeting her son. And her son ends up being the actual son of Satan. So, like, he – and that taken very literally. Like, legitimately, his the wife had, you know, sex with a demonic cult and all that. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Little Evil? Yeah, Little Evil. Uh, okay. The Den is a little – that one's a little bit weird. It's a little bit intense, but it's also a very good uh, uh, found footage horror movie. It's where a woman is trying to essentially um, – write a PhD thesis, I'm pretty sure is what it is, about um, how people interact with each other online through chat roulette. And so, but then it ends up, you know, taking a pretty dark turn. Um, You also have The Void, which is like a really interesting Lovecraftian style tale of like, you know, cosmic horror and unknown horror. Got cults and stuff like that. That one's good. I'd also say Man Versus, another good found footage one. But that one's a little weird. And then uh, the boys in trees, that one's a little that, that one's really good as well, but it, it's a bit intense. Like it's not it's 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 also a bit dramatic as well as much as much of a horror as it is a drama. Um, for ones that you should definitely stay away from, and I mean <laughs> yeah. definitely before I wake. That I don't know how they made a movie so boring that I fell asleep twice while watching it. Um. <laughs> Most likely to die. That one is that one's okay if you want to watch a movie that's bad but kind of fun to watch. But it's really not that fun to watch. Um, <laughs> um, Beyond the Gate. This one had promise, but the main actor is a pure robot. I don't think I've seen anyone give less of a shit when they <laughs> say their lines in my entire life. Um, then there's also hashtag horror. Which is supposed to be like a commentary on bullying and social media or whatever, but it's the one of the most incoherent, complicated, <laughs> nonsensical fucking movies I think I've ever seen in my life. It's got like it's loud and flashy. There's all these graphics. The themes don't make any sense at the end because there's like an actual killer. I don't know. It was very weird. 
and I would not recommend it. It was not a good weird. It was a bad weird. Bad weird. And then other bad ones. We got The Disappointments Room. That one wasn't terrible, just missed the boat. Uh, there's also this one called – what was it called? It's not the first purge. Yoga Hosers. So it's this is supposed to be like a B-list horror with um, – it's Kevin Smith is the director, and they have Johnny Depp's daughter as the main character. And uh, it's, she's not like that, – that's not the main character. It's the, the actress who plays her. And it's supposed right, right. to be like, you know – it's got a big – it's got a star-studded cast. It's got like – if I remember correctly, I think Will, Will – no, Will Ferrell's not in it. But I think Patton Oswalt's in it. Um, they have a ton of people in it. Um, it's got an interesting storyline. Uh, apparently Stan – oh, I wrote, I wrote down here that Stan Lee shows up at one scene. Um, no. Wow. And it looked like the people who made the movie had a lot of fun. Um, however – it's kind of weird because it's supposed to be like a joke about horror movies, but I feel like it's just so ham fisted and like, it's almost like someone said like the kids like randomness these days. So let's make a bunch of <laughs> random jokes. And then that's the entire movie. There are definitely some good jokes. It also doesn't help that the conflict in the movie doesn't happen until 45 minutes in, which is way, <laughs> way too long. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't recommend that one either. And then the last one I would say would be Carnage Park. I don't even so this one was it was it was it was directed by Michael Keating and it's an IFC Midnight movie. If you see a movie and it's an IFC Midnight movie, essentially know that you're taking a gamble because it means that IFC wouldn't play it until two in the morning. <laughs> IFC <laughs> and so but it's really it's got a really cool aesthetic, especially the the first like twenty to thirty minutes is really good. It's like amazing. Um but then it just it almost seems like they had a different art student direct each twenty minutes. Like it get it changes so much. Like it it'll like and there's so many art shot like so many random shots that don't make any sense with the story at all. And there's like a lot of scenes and sequences where it's just random shots on top of weird ambient noise. And I'm not against that. It's just, it didn't go well with this. Movie. <laughs> and it was, and it, and then, and it was also just, it started off at like a hundred miles an hour and it didn't slow down at any point. It just kept going faster and faster and faster. <laughs> and it didn't help that. You know how I talked about in no country for old men, uh, silence was really good in it. Yeah. This yeah. is the exact opposite. They were at, like, they were essentially clipping my speakers at every goddamn second. <laughs> they had, like, 16 different, and it was weird that they only had, like, I guess they could only afford, like, one, like, set of, like, a small set of actual music to play. So they had the same song going over and over again. And, like, it was so annoying and nauseating. It's like, like she's just hiding in a rock and you have like the loudest music ever blaring <laughs> blaring through. So, I know you're telling me not to watch this, but it's, it's <laughs> you're a, making me interested. It, it's a ride. Um it's it's definitely a ride. I would watch it with some friends, otherwise you're just gonna get bored. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Alright. <laughs> That's pretty funny stuff. Would <laughs> do you come up with that list for a, a website or a reason or just for fun? Well, I was just – there was this one point where I was just watching a ton of movies, and I'd forget which movies I'd watch. So I was uh, like, okay, well, what's the point of me watching them if I don't, you know, know what I'm watching? So I at first I just started 
um, writing down all the movies I would watch. So I'd have a list of things and I'd write a movie down and I'd give it pluses and minuses based on how much I liked it. Then I thought, well, why not actually write a full review? So I started for a little bit, I would watch a movie, then I'd write a quick little review about it that just that remind me my thoughts. So now I have a list I can go back to and just be like, oh, I saw that movie. Uh, what did I think of it? And then I have like some commentary about what I said about the movie. Nice. Do you do that on paper or? No, I have in... it in a, like a digital thing. Nice. That's a good idea. Yeah, so I, do you I do that with just? I recommend at the very least to do the list of what you watched because then you know you don't. It doesn't just go past your mind, right? And then you can it, because people will ask you like, "Oh, have you seen this movie?" And you don't want to think, "Eh, maybe." You want to say like, "Oh, yes or no," right? Right. That seems like it could be useful with books, movies, oh yeah, all totally. kinds of things. Do you uh, do you read books much? Um. Yeah, I'm not as into books, uh, mainly because I'm not the fastest reader, so it takes me a while to uh, hmm. to go through. But yeah, I've, I've read quite a few books. Any favorite books? Uh, probably my favorite is The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner. I really, really like that. And I'm also a fan of Lovecraftian stories, and I don't just mean like his stories. I like his stories quite a bit. But also I'm really into just the weird fiction past Lovecraft. Um. But yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't know. I, I tried getting into books for a little bit and it's just that I'm too slow. <laughs> so like, yeah. you know, I, I, it takes me a month to read a book. So it's kind of like, I'm mean, just me. You stick reading. to the shorts. <laughs> yeah. <that's... laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stick to the short stories. Oh, the I fan fiction stories. I can tell you some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Share away. Um, so this was a short story. We did for, uh, I think the first episode of Barry Jim's, and it's just, it's just, um, oh no, actually it was for episode. It hasn't come out yet, but there's an episode we do. Where we talk, we read a horror story, and it's kind of interesting to like see people trying to do horror. And then I don't know. I was a pretty big fan of horror, so I, I've like read a bunch of horror books and movies and all that, and read some of the philosophy on it, and to like see where people. See, to see where people misdescribe, I think, is the biggest thing I found with short stories when it comes to horror. And that people will either assume that the sentence, and then he cut his throat or whatever, something like that, which is a, a, a scary sentence, g given it all. They assume that's enough. and But then some people go harder and say, like, they describe how he cuts his throat or whatever. And I'd say that's also the wrong direction. Um, from my experience, horror gets scary when it comes to the undescribable or the describable that's like the mixture of human and inhuman so you wanted to one note i'd like to give to horror authors it, or any like wanting to be horror authors who are currently in the process of writing fan fiction and send it to me but um uh, <laughs> to, to look think about objects in your scene that are inhuman like try and make it to where that like your monster even if it is a person try to make them in a way inhuman so like if you have a serial killer well serial killers look at famous serial killers in in movies you have michael myers to call him human is not fair i'd say a, a good analysis of michael myers would be he's like almost like an unstoppable death like an unstoppable force 
almost mm, like he's the yeah. personification of death in itself, right? Because he doesn't right. stop. You can't kill Michael Myers. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so I'd say is like, but see, that is that connection there. He's not human. He's inhuman. He is a anti or a misanthropic idea that's coming to force himself on you, and that's what's kind of scary about it. You can look at the same thing with Jason, uh, with Freddy Krueger. Those are like the big, you know, huge horror people. You can also like look at it a little smaller with things like the Babadook, where you know you look at like the you have like a manifestation of what is terrifying about being a mother and that is pushed to the inhuman right we create an inhuman monster to which we say that is what being a mother represents we are afraid of that and mm. it's another thing where you want to essentially take the thing you're trying to scare people about you want to try and make it inhuman you want to make it to where or it's like eerily human almost so the Babadook is a good example where it's like it's just a person in a weird suit, but, you know, it's supposed to be an amalgamation. Like the actual suit doesn't matter. It's about the fact that the Babadook is really, you know, the anxieties of being a mom. And so and, and that, that's actually a really interesting premise, I think, for a movie to make motherhood scary. <laughs> yeah. Probably not the best thing for uh, expectant mothers to watch. <laughs> <laughs> It is interesting, though. They kind of take, um, like, real human emotions and then, you know, twist them or dig them deeper to make them horror. horror yeah. Scary. <laughs> I mean, it's just, on a horror, such an interesting concept. Um, and there's a lot of bad horror. And I think that's what makes it so interesting. And that, like, as soon as a horror trope becomes... Uh, solidified it becomes a bad horror trope right so as soon as it became common for young teenagers to go out to a cabin of the woods and get cut up well that then that became bad horror <laughs> like it's such an experience yeah right that like yeah. you know if you do anything old it's like oh well that's that's garbage right and that's why i think there's like a actually there's actually been some arguments about whether or not we're in a current um re like a current uh, awakening of horror that we have like a re another spurt of amazing horror because just look at the movies that have been coming out recently. You have like movies like Hush and Bird Box, which are like very Hush, especially to me was that was a great movie. Uh, I'd totally recommend. It's where a deaf girl. It's a it's a traditional slasher movie. There's a girl in a cabin in the woods and a slasher comes to kill her, but she's deaf and it becomes a cat and mouse game between the deaf girl and the killer. And what they did what was really interesting is that they kind of they took all the sound out when you're following the deaf girl. Right? Uh, so like when she's walking around the house wow. and you're following her, you don't hear the noises, right? Wow. That's creepy. Yeah, that's a good one. Um But yeah, it's just interesting. So uh, kind of on topic, off topic. I don't want to take you too far off, but uh do you find that there's not a lot of new kinds of movies coming out? Like I've noticed just a lot of remakes happening. I think like, I think that's a very easy mindset to fall into, and it's not wrong. Okay. There's a lot of remakes coming out. To say that there's a, a like you know, not remakes coming out is crazy. There's so many remakes, but I think there is still a lot of new movies coming out, and I think maybe they're just harder to find. And I think that's kind of always been the case. Maybe it just seems like it wasn't back in the day because there was like, 
because like we were familiar we're familiar with these franchises so when we see the remakes coming out you know it's not more common but i mean hollywood's been remaking itself for years for decades but i do think there still is a lot of and it, and it and i don't blame anyone for feeling like that because there's a lot of remakes and they're the ones that get the money to advertise and they're the ones that can you know make a great deal of money and like they seem to be the big blockbusters now if we're talking about blockbusters and yeah it's mainly just marvel movies and remakes um but there's a lot of really interesting movies that are coming out so i saw upgrade uh last summer in uh in a in, in theaters and that was an amazing movie with matt hardy i think is his name he played venom i'm pretty sure Oh yeah, yeah, that's Matt Hardy. Yeah, that movie was that was that was an epic movie. It's like uh, where a guy like gets an AI put into his brain to like cure his cancer, uh, but he ends up like fighting the people who control the AI. It's that's a super cool movie. It's kind of like a revenge movie. Then there's also sounds up my alley. I like it. And then there, there was also Hotel Artemis that came out this last year that was phenomenal. That had Charlie Day and. Someone else who's really big, I forget his name, but Charlie Day was in it, and it was that was also an awesome movie. It's just super unique, super creative, uh, super self-contained. Um, and then even then, you have uh, you had Sorry to Bother You, which was supposed to be really good. Same with Black Klansman. Um, hmm. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of movies. Is they're just they're just harder to find. I guess is where I'm coming from. Like. Yeah, do they? I wonder if they just don't advertise as much because, like, I've never heard of Upgrade or that other one, the uh, Artemis Hotel. Yeah, I think it's just also that I think it depends on your area, right? So if you live in like closer to like big cities, like where I live right now, I'm pretty close to a big city, and where I was living during the summer, I was in a big city. Uh, I think you Mm -hmm. see a lot more advertisements for these movies. But if you Uh, live in a smaller town, they're probably not even going to be in theaters, right? Gotcha, gotcha. So that could be why people are so fatigued, is that their theaters suck. <laughs> their theaters don't have any movies. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't know. Be it. What else? There's another movie okay. I was thinking of. How, how do you find – so you find these just by advertising, by like for walking around part, you see the signs for them? Sometimes okay. I'll look at just what my theaters have uh, around me. Yeah. Uh, that's typically how I, I find these things out, if, if it's new movies advertising is gotcha. the biggest one and i gotta say i don't know what google's doing but their advertising to me it's pretty spot on when it comes to movies <laughs> so i mean i don't know how they figured it out but they like they know what i like they got those algorithms down yeah cool okay so that, maybe that's just me i gotta start opening my eyes I mean, I feel like it's definitely not just you because I I hear people talk about it a lot, and I do I do think it's a valid thing to say that like especially blockbusters because I'm a big fan of Marvel movies, so I'm perfectly fine with all of them keep coming out like keep making Marvel movies. I'm huge into Marvel comics and huge into the movies, mm-hmm. but I could see someone who's not as big into that stuff be very exhausted <laughs> of how many you know Marvel movies and comic book movies and and action movies like that have been coming out. Yeah. I, like, I was trying to think of the last movie I was, like, excited to go to the theater and see. And for some reason, this can't be the latest one, but Inception seems like the last really? one that I was, like, all amped up. There must be something sooner, but... There probably is. There has oh, to another... be, but that's the last one where I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's, it's just, sorry, just off topic, but another great uh, drama that came out last year was Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. That was... a an, a wonderful movie about uh, 
about rage and about outrage and about um, just how to deal with grief and that kind of thing. And how okay. revenge nice. is. I'd totally recommend it. Th- I think that one should have won an Oscar, honestly. Three billboards outside of Missouri? Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Ebbing, okay. It, it's, you, know, it, you might have seen the ads for this one. It's where a mom puts up three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri that goad the sheriff where it says, oh, my daughter was killed a year ago, raped and murdered, um, still no convictions, essentially. Essentially, she's like, you know, she's outraged at the cops for not finding the killer. Hmm. Okay. I'm always, <laughs> there's so many times where I sit in front of my TV and I scroll through like HBO or Netflix and I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I want to commit oh, like two hours to watching. I hate that feeling. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's awesome. It's awesome having recommendations of stuff that's worth going to check out. Yeah. It definitely helps when you can find people and they're like, I always like it when people tell me what to watch. <laughs> yeah, really yeah. It makes it so much simpler. And then I can blame them if it's bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't choose to waste three hours of my time. Someone... That person told me it was good. <laughs> they're just uh, uncultured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly oh man cool cool movies um all right anything else you want to go into movies are cool um nah man that's it for me i actually have to start get going soon okay um how how can uh people reach you Barry gems best place to find you yeah that's uh so you can find you can go on to spotify itunes stitcher tune me or tune in uh iheart radio i'm pretty sure on there most essentially anywhere you get podcasts i'm pretty sure we're there and okay. it's just buried gems b-u-r-i-e-d-g-e-m-s uh we release episodes every other every other thursday Except for two parters, we released back to back. You can find our episodes there, and if you want to, if you have any stories or suggestions, or just want to contact me directly, uh, you can f- uh, email me at buriedgemspodcast at gmail dot com. Other than that, yeah, that's the best way to to reach me. Okay. Any uh, Twitter or uh, anything like that, or no? Um, just straight up email. No, just straight up email. I might if you, if you see me if you see fancy octopus on a Discord and it's a picture of an octopus with a cigar and a top hat that's that's me so <laughs> if you somehow just end okay. up on a Discord that has that um that's me <laughs> um, <laughs> so are you accepting um you're accepting fan fiction to your email yeah, address so you people want, can come and send you yeah if you want us to read a story if you think it's funny we'll take we'll definitely take a read at it um if it's your own story. Uh, I mean, tell us or don't. Well, we won't treat you differently, <laughs> but we'll read the story, and if we think we'll make a good episode, we'll we'll take a quick uh, we'll we'll do a quick uh read of it. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. Well, uh, very gems. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been a fun time. Yeah. Hey, fancy octopus. It was uh nice to have a conversation with you. Learned a lot. Uh, got a bunch of movies I got to go check <laughs> out. So I'm excited. Yeah. Cool, cool. It's been a All fun right. time being on. Uh, always fun to go on to guest on people's podcasts. Uh, yeah, so just let me know if you want me back on anytime. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks, thanks for taking the time tonight.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to Strangers in a Small World. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and send a review on your favorite podcast listener. If you want to reach out to us, check us out on Twitter at Strangers in a Pod, on Instagram at Strangers in a Small World, or go straight to our website and hit us up at www.strangersinasmallworld.com. On the website, you can find information on the show as well as links to everything we talked about in today's conversation. Thanks again for listening, and remember, although we may be strangers, we all live together in this small world.